What's going on, everybody? Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Welch Report. With me, Jean Luc Welch. Make some noise, clap it up, get excited. Wherever you are, we are back with another phenomenal episode, jam packed with all the content you could ever want. Talking about the NBA and Draymond Green. Talking about the vaunted fight between AJ and French Singanu. If you didn't know, they got announced last week. Also talking about Ryan Garcia and Terrence Crawford, as well as much more on this show. We got a lot to cover, and I thank you so much for tuning into the show to find out all these topics and my opinions on and all. Without further ado, or rather, with ado, please leave a like on the video. If you're watching on YouTube, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire of a community together. We're almost at a thousand subscribers, and I can't do it without your help. And y'all been helping me out so much, giving support. Please keep on sharing the channel oh by the way we're available on every podcasting platform apple google spotify whatever you are whatever you prefer we are there rate us five stars give us a listen we got entertainment for days days i say and you would never be in a boring situation listening to this show i can tell you that right now on your job at your home in the shower wherever you want to listen to the show we got you covered absolutely and so if you keep on rating we'll keep on pumping up stuff man we can get some sponsors going down the pipe oh, 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 oh. who knows <laughs> if we can keep on making this show as popular and as fast growing as it is right now so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening thank you for all the support and without further ado we got to jump into the world of boxing first and foremost we got a lot to cover so without oh, well shoot i already said without further ado let's get right into it we're talking about boxing so it is time to step into the ring that's right ring the bell let's Get it started! Round one of this show and boxing segment underway. Talking about the vaunted matchup between AJ and Francis Ngannou. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. It is happening. It is happening. Francis Ngannou and AJ and Anthony Joshua are going to fight on March 8th. Funded by Saudi Arabia as they have been throwing money left, right, and center. As we knew by the day of reckoning with a phenomenal heavyweight and just card all around that they made for that fight. And with Anthony Joshua having a dominant performance against Ottawa Lean. Meets singing his praises. Everybody's singing his praises. The old AJ is back. The confidence is there. The poise is there. And the prodigy has returned. The prodigal son has returned to the world of boxing and looks revitalized. Now he's in a situation where he's fighting against Francis Ngannou, the predator himself, the brother who gave Tyson Fury not only one of his toughest fights, just point blank period in his entire career, but in my opinion and many other people's opinions, won that fight against Tyson Fury and should be seen as the lineal heavyweight champion because he should have won that match at minimum it should have been a draw all around but that's my opinion you may have yours but either way you cut it he put on an incredibly impressive display that put the entire not just boxing world on notice but the heavyweight world on notice specifically and put him in real contention to be in the boxing room as a ufc fighter one of the most dangerous opponents in the world of heavyweight boxing. Legitimately can be seen as top three to top five, especially now that Wilder has now got bumped down. We could see, and based on how he performed against Fury with legitimate technique and skill, there's a real argument that we could be saying that he is the top five heavyweight in the world. Maybe knocking on the door of top three. Who knows? And with how some people may have him as top two. 
potentially with if they have Fury at what they have him as. And then, again, some people don't like Usyk. I like Usyk. I think Ngannou right now is top five, not top three in my estimation. But that's a whole conversation for another day. Point being, we are seeing a matchup between two people that is highly anticipated. How is this fight going to go? Is Anthony Joshua going to be a tougher matchup for Francis Ngannou than Tyson Fury? And I want to say yes, and I, but I wouldn't have said that before the Ottawa Lean fight. I wouldn't have said it before the Ottawa Lean fight. Reason being, when Ottawa Lean fought against AJ, before that fight, as we know, we were talking about AJ's confidence. We were talking about AJ's drive. We were talking about AJ's ability. We were talking about AJ's persistent falling, excuse me, his persistent disappointing performances from his inability to gain the confidence necessary to fight in his fullest capacity. Scared of getting knocked out. Scared of what's coming at him. Scared of exactly what his opponent could do in the face of danger. That is what we were saying about AJ before Otto Arling. But after we saw Otto Arling, oh my gosh, he went and came full force. This buddy was throwing combinations. He was walking down Otto Arling. He was giving Otto Arling work without the fear of what was coming back at him. As we discussed on the last show, breaking down that fight in totality. You can also check it on the channel. We got a clip of it right there. But we have now seen AJ in the form that we want him to be. Since we've seen him in that capacity, what is it that we need to expect from him going into Francis Ngannou? Because what are we seeing when he faces Francis Ngannou? We're seeing somebody who is already cut, we can see, is cut from a different cloth, is going to be the heaviest hitter that AJ's ever faced. That's absolutely, absolutely. The heaviest hitter that he's ever faced. Most likely the biggest opponent that he's ever faced. Facing outside of Klitschko. And from a pure weight perspective, yeah, he's going to be the biggest guy AJ's ever faced in his career. Outside of Klitschko, this is the only buddy that has been remotely close to his physically gifted physique and size. You got to remember that when Francis Ngannou fought against Tyson Fury, he was 270, 272, only two or three pounds under what Tyson Fury was in their clash against each other with Tyson Fury coming in at what, 274, 273. So it ain't like he, this is legitimate in terms of the weight discrepancy. We've seen AJ come in 260, 255, which is great for him, absolutely. His best operating weight. But this is still a concern when you're going up against somebody in Francis Ngannou who is as imposing of a physical specimen that is on par with Anthony Joshua. Mind you, power and strength are two different things. We can talk about punching power all day long, and we're going to get to that. But strength for strength-wise, physical ability versus physical ability, we could be seeing a situation where AJ is maybe outmatched in one of his biggest assets which is strength and physical gifts. Being somebody, and mind you, AJ six foot six, about 255, 260. And Gano's 6'4", so he is shorter than him. But along with being, coming into the fight, 270, potentially 275, if he so chooses. Also, he's got a longer reach. 83 inches, I believe. 80, yeah, yeah, yeah. 83 inches for Francis Ngannou, 82 inches for Anthony Joshua. So what he lacks in height, makes up for some of the biggest wingspans in the division, any division, whether it be UFC or MMA, or excuse me, or boxing. 
This is the real situation we're looking at, AJ, as this is, is going to be a tall mountain to climb. But what we should expect from AJ is an AJ that can win because this is an AJ that is rejuvenated. Like I said, if I didn't say it before, I'm saying it again, or I'm saying it now. If this was the AJ before Otto Walling, we will be looking at an AJ that would be guaranteed to get knocked out, in my estimation, by Francis Ngannou. Because the outright confidence that Francis Ngannou showed is juxtaposed to what AJ was showing up until the Otto Walling fight. In that fight, he proved it, but before then, it was questions of confidence, questions of pulling the trigger, questions of having the, the wanted ability or the wanted fervor to utilize punching power that he has at his disposal instead of being scared of what's coming back at him. As we already covered, AJ's back to his prime form. Now that we're dealing with this new rejuvenated AJ, this is not the same brother. Great. This AJ, if he can get Make sure, make sure he stays consistent with the thought process of being confident in himself, in his skill set, and in his talent. Going back to the age of old and staying there, that's the key. What we saw was phenomenal. But he's got to stay there if he wants a shot at beating Francis Ngannou. We'll break down the fight more in detail later on as it comes closer on this channel. Don't get it twisted, absolutely. But in terms of an overview of what this fight is, it's a really a, it's a situation of AJ is a better boxer. AJ has better footwork, better fundamentals. Again, I've said this before. AJ is an all-around beast of a fighter. He's a man that can do everything with everything. He's got the ability to have, again, a great jab, a great hook, great uppercut, one of the best uppercuts in the entire division, on top of having the, again, the IQ, ring awareness, ring generalship, and all-around cohesive knowledge of the boxing game and boxing fundamentals as a whole. That is what Francis, that is what, not Francis Garner, that is what Anthony Joshua is. And since that's Anthony Joshua, Joshua, by all accounts, should be the man that should be favored in this fight. He should be. On top of him being the biggest puncher that Francis Ngannou's ever faced. Whether it's in the UFC or in boxing, he may have faced off against the biggest man in Tyson Fury, but the hardest puncher he's faced is going to be Anthony Joshua. It is. Even with respect to Derek Lewis, with respect to Jenowitz, uh, Jen, uh, who's the African brother that he fought, then he knocked out in phenomenal fashion, swinging hooks left, right, and center. I forget his name. One of his staple wins, however. Bigger punch than him. Bigger punch than Stipe. Bigger punch than Alistair Overham. Especially that Alistair Overham. The one off of the juice, if you know. Old Overeem from prime days. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a brother. I that, that was a brother. But even the Overeem that was in the UFC post- Steroids it was still a threat. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't not only what he used to be, but also in terms of Francis versus AJ, as opposed to Francis versus everybody else, he's not even a big, a bigger punch than surreal gun. 
who was at one point in time the most technical heavyweight in the UFC. It's the truth. When it comes to the threat of getting caught, AJ is your biggest opposition. He is your biggest threat that we've seen in Ghana face. He is. He's the, AJ is the heaviest puncher and the most technical puncher combined. Fury, Fury had phenomenal technique. We know we've seen other heavyweights, both in and out of boxing, have more power than him. But he was the most technical. Now we're looking at AJ. This is the most dangerous. He's both on, on par technically with Tyson Fury and has the power that can take you out in one go. That record of, what was it? Eight, 16 or 18 KOs straight. Him being the pride of Britain in the rest of the boxing landscape. That wasn't a fluke. There's a reason why he was able to knock out Klitschko. There was a reason why he was able to, to stun nearly every opponent he's gone up against. There's a reason why he's been so dangerous. There's a reason why we have said this man, if he lives up to his potential, has the ability to be the best heavyweight in the world. Because uh, the, the, the power that he has at his disposal and that bodybuilder type physique isn't just for show, unlike we've seen with other big muscular heavyweights. Anthony Joshua in that build that he has on him, in that frame, is legitimately a real test and a real threat to everybody. And that physical power isn't just a show of physical dominance. It will literally cut your lights out. So by all accounts, with all of that being said, AJ is should be seen as the main guy that if anybody was going to have the biggest trouble going against Francis, or if Francis Ngannou, excuse me, after what we saw with Tyson Fury, if anybody was going to have the, the best opportunity to get at Ngannou and clock him and actually catch him, it would be AJ. From a physical standpoint, he is bigger in terms of height. He lacks an inch in reach, understandable, but he's got one of the best jabs in the business, which we were seeing Tyson Fury use, but he didn't have any real pop behind it. It was just scoring shots. AJ's jabs will have pop as well as his one-two. Again, is one of the best in the business at heavyweight. We saw it working for Tyson Fury. It just it wasn't hurting Francis Ngannou. Because not only is Tyson Fury not as big of a puncher, though he is 270 pounds, and God just has a phenomenal chin. AJ's got the power that can actually test that chin. We know this. We're not saying it's going to happen. He's just going to clock him at the slightest touch. But we do know that this is something that AJ has at his disposal. And Ganu's chin is phenomenal. Let's not get it twisted. Whether it's in the UFC or boxing, his chin is legendary. It is granite. It is true iron. He took an elbow, not only for his entire career, but he took an elbow from Fury in that fight. I talked about it in my breakdown of why Francis Ngannou should have won. Or at minimum, it, it should have been a draw. Took an elbow blatantly to the face. Wasn't what no point deduction. No, nothing was called. But he walked right through it. Like a Sunday morning stroll. This is not a normal man. 
in the boxing realm. This is a brother who, if he did take it seriously for his entire career and wasn't waned away when he wanted to be a boxer early on in his career, didn't let other people push him away from the sport and let him be in the boxing realm for the entirety of his life, good gosh, this man would have been, he would be the best heavyweight in the world today. There's a real argument based on what he just showed against Fury. If he had actual all-around life experience in the world of boxing, too, scary business. But even now, he's a threat to take out AJ because the biggest thing for AJ is having your confidence stay consistent. That's what this all revolves around. Again, we'll break down the fight later on in the year, closer to March. And we'll get in more detail. But the biggest thing you need to take away from this, Anthony Joshua has to have the confidence to be able to take Fury, not Fury, to be able to take Ngannou out. It's a battle of will in terms of Anthony Joshua. You're looking at somebody who just conquered the world in their eyes in Francis Ngannou. Walked into this sport against who was seen as the baddest dude in Tyson Fury in other people's eyes, not mine, but other people's eyes. And took him, not just took him to school, but about took the fight and should have taken the fight, in my estimation. Already was confident like no other. Now it's amped that up to who knows how much. Only a couple months in the sport and he's already taken on the champion and people are disputing that he should have gotten the win and should be the lineal champ. Now that he's essentially at this point in time, dedicated his mindset to boxing, has kept on training, has kept on working, has kept on going. Yes, we know he signed with the PLF. Yes, we know he still has a deal with the PLF in fighting in MMA. We know that. We know that. We understand that. But right now he's dedicated to this sport. He's dedicated to boxing. So with an even longer stay in being enveloped in the sport and learning the sport, Oh, this brother's confidence is through the roof, on top of the world, as it should be. But that's been the biggest gripe going against AJ. Confidence. Because without confidence, your skill set can't take you anywhere. Because up until a certain point, if you can't be fully faithful in your abilities to do what you need to do, you can't use what you want to do. You can't. Which was, which was a hindrance for so long after that Andy Ruiz KO. Now, seemingly, he's gotten over. But if he doesn't stay consistent in that mindset on the night of the fight, nay, when the bell rings, and if he loses that in the slightest, now we're looking at real upset opportunity. Because the one thing, before we move on, the one thing, about Francis Ngannou that makes this even more dangerous than when Tyson Fury fought him for the opponent, not for Francis Ngannou, but for the opponent. Isn't that he's relatively close in height? Because he was closer in height to Tyson Fury than anybody expected. Isn't weight. It's reach. Specifically. Because now he doesn't have to worry about having to fight around a four-inch-plus jab as opposed to what he is, his, his physical gifts are. He's 83 inches reach. Fury was at what, 85, 86? 
And he used that to his advantage, constantly popping it out all night long. And Gano early on had to find a way to get around it because he couldn't, he, he had to work around that big jab to get in range. Now, and Gano can stay on the outside on the fullest leverage of his punch and be in range. He can use his jab instead to make AJ have to forge his way on the inside. And if he is able to counter him like he was able to counter Tyson Fury, we're looking at a real situation where we could be, oh boy, we could be looking at AJ on the mat. We really could. Because Tyson Fury is one of the best chins in the sport of boxing. We understand this. Yes, he does. That's whatever you want to say about Tyson Fury right now. That can't be denied. And he took a shot. And he got knocked down from a shot by Francis Ngannou that genuinely I didn't think was going to knock him down when he did land. Yet that counter shot caught him. Put him down. Made him worry for the rest of the fight. Mind you, he was taking it to Francis Ngannou for that fight early on in the round. Then after round three, bang. Boom. Changed his entire perspective and momentum. Changes in time. Mind you, we saw Wilder land and knock Fury down. And he kept coming forward. He didn't do that in this fight. This is, we're dealing with a different sect of potentially power entirely. Not saying that he is a bigger puncher than Deontay Wilder in that right hand. Not saying that. What I am saying is that power is some of the best in the business along with strength and legitimate fundamental skill, you should be wary of making a mistake. And if that happens to Anthony Joshua, and he gets put on the back foot, even with all of his legitimate talent and skill and fundamental soundness, it won't be enough. It's a real situation where it could, might not be enough. So it makes this fight so intriguing. We know who should be the better boxer. But we know what somebody with little experience was able to do against who was seen as the biggest of the big in the heavyweight division and the baddest of the bad by many people outside of the sport and inside the sport. Not me, but others. And he was able to do that to a brother that has, he had, that has had his entire life in the sport of boxing. Yeah, there's some there's some concern. There should be some concern. And I can't wait for this fight to keep on going. As the months trickle down. Oh boy. We, it's going to be a sight to behold to watch. And I'm going to follow it all. Trust and believe. But this should be a real situation. Where AJ can get KO'd. Though he should be able to win. It's, it's, it's real. It's realer than anything. Francis Ngannou has now sub, sub, cemented his status as a threat to every single heavyweight in the division. And if he does in fact beat AJ, oh, he should be in line for a title. He absolutely should be in line for a title. There is no doubt in my mind that he should be in line for a title. None whatsoever. Because now he earned the right. He earned it. We get on people for jumping the line. No, this is legitimate. This is legitimate. This isn't like what we've seen with Jake Paul when he was fighting a bunch of no-names and then getting 
if he won, would be get would be ranked by the WBC. This isn't that. This brother went to war with the best of the best and nearly won, if not should have won outright. And if he does, in fact, beat who is now seen as the third best heavyweight in the world, let alone knock him out, jumping the line in that situation should be justified. Yes, it should. But that fight's coming, and we'll break down that fight even more later on in the year. Trust and believe as March 8th approaches closer and closer and closer. But we have to also talk about Ryan Garcia in the second half of the show when his seemingly, oh my gosh, sudden flipping of the mind of going not after Devin Haney, but now going after Raul Romero. People are calling him a duck. People are saying that he, he's running away. People are saying that he's shrinking from the competition that's in front of him and all of a sudden changing his tune and, again, is ducking the best opposition. Is this true? Is it not? My take on it all, yes and no. It is a duck. We have to call it that because of how fervently he was calling for that fight to happen after Oscar Duarte. How fervently he was calling out Devin Haney on Twitter and on all social medias. How, how hard he was trying to make this fight happen and how much he was calling out Devin Haney. All the smack talk, all the back and forth, all of that. He was doing that. That is irrefutable. And for to all of a sudden change your mind. Yeah, that's a, that we, hmm, oh, wait a minute now. Hold on one second. What spurred this sudden change of opinion? We have to say, after all that rah-rah, to all of a sudden go in a different direction completely against Rolly Romero, of all people, and no disrespect to Rolly Romero, but we know where he is as opposed to everybody else in that division. To all of a sudden switch gears and go after him, it brings a sense of, oh, you were all talk. That's what it perceives to the outside world, to the public. That's the perception of everything. So in that respect, yes, it is a duck. Because seemingly, there's no good reason why you should have changed your mind. There isn't any. You've been routinely trying to call it the best of the best. We know you want to fight the best of the best. I don't care what any naysayer wants to say. All respect to Ryan Garcia. He has been taking on these challenges and been one of the few in the division that have been calling out consistently the biggest of the names. We can't, we, 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 that is what it is. I don't care what you feel about him. That is irrefutable. Whether he steps in the ring and loses or not, his respect has been earned because he is actively, whether outmatched or not, calling out these big names while potentially sacrificing his own name in the process if he does lose. He doesn't care. That's what he's been doing. So to go against that level of thought process brings an air of concern. And causes us to reevaluate what this situation really is. So we have to call it a duck in that respect. And he is, he is avoiding opposition in that respect. But also no. Because remember, we talked about this before, I believe. And if not, again, we're, I'm first time hearing it. Vine Garcia has been hanging out with Floyd Mayweather. Vine Garcia has been more and more getting ingratiated with the good graces of TB, TBE. Yeah, TBT. TBE. His brand, not calling him the best ever, never. But 
his moniker, Money Mayweather, Floyd himself, getting ingratiated with the camp in him as a person. We've seen him training with Ryan Garcia, running with Ryan Garcia, jogging out and about. There is a relationship budding. Since that's the case, if this indeed is true, and if Ryan Garcia now is under Floyd Mayweather's wing, now we know that this move makes sense because it's the smart move. And Floyd's entire career, when he made a transition from pretty boy to money, that transition was went from taking on all challengers to being smart. Still taking on all challengers, but being smart about it. And since he's being smart, there's no need into fighting Devin Haney right now. Go get a title from an opponent that is seen as very much lesser than all the other title holders. The easiest shot at becoming a champion at the division and not only building up your cachet, getting you more money, and making the big fights against other opponents even bigger, not just because you beat somebody that is known but is seen as lesser in Rolly Romero, but also... You have a belt, they have a belt, unification belt. On top of, it's Devin Haney versus Ryan Garcia. A, a tie-breaking event. Because they were three and three in the amateurs, if you did not know when they fought against each other. Four, the unified super lightweight title. This is great. At 140, this is phenomenal. This is exactly what makes the smart move so tantalizing. And it's what Floyd would do. Hence, if we see Ryan Garcia under that wing, the move makes sense. It is apropos for what that camp normally does. We saw it with Javante Tank Davis when he was under the tutelage of Floyd at that point in time. Got about, he get credit to him. He faced off against Leo Santa Cruz. No disrespect there. But we did see, hey, there was some fight that should have been made. That weren't made because they were building up the, the rapport and the foundational appeal of Javante Tank Davis. Now that he's out and about, boom. We still see him doing some of those tactics, some of those business decisions by Floyd Miller. He hasn't forgotten what this sport is, sports a business. We still see semblances of that rubbing off on Javante Tank Davis, even now as he is his own man. Not under the tutelage of anybody. We get this. And since that's the case, we have to surmise that this is why this move is being made. It's the smart decision to make a bigger fight and a bigger payday and a bigger event for Devin Haney when they actually do fight. Because they will fight. Don't get it twisted. They are going to fight. This fervor from Ryan Garcia hasn't waned in the slightest. And the very fact that he beat him in the amateurs three times makes this even more tantamount. That he is confident that he can beat him because he's done it before. So it's not like he himself is scared. But it's a necessary duck for a bigger gain in his eyes. Again, the smart move. It's the smart decision. More money. Again, more money. A title. Building up the event. Unification potentially on the line. And submit yourself if you do in fact beat him after it's been hyped up as, as such as the best super lightweight in the world. If you beat Devin Haney, that's, yeah, 
or at least the second best behind Tio, if you have Tio above him. It's one of the two. But that's what's at stake, the smart business decision for a monumental financial gain and legacy gain if, in fact, that fight does go down and you become the winner in both circumstances. That's what's at stake. Hence why the smart move, the Floyd move, is what's being done by Ryan Garcia. We have to say that. We have to. And all this stuff questioning whether or not he is or isn't a real boxer, whether he is or does or does not want to be in the sport. Let's put all that to bed. Come on. Come on. Let's not do that. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be stupid. Like Paulie Malignaggi and other ridiculous critics in that respect. Because it's insane that that is a legitimate thing. Because if that was the case, he would have never fought Ryan Tank. He would never fought Tank Davis. If he wasn't a real boxer, he would never fought Tank Davis. And would have kept on building up his cash more and more. Winning belts all around or winning matches and potentially winning belts all around Tank and never facing. If that was in fact the case. You can't call him a, a not a real fighter. Yet he's not only calling out, but actively gets in the ring with these people. He isn't doing a Dylan Dennis. He isn't doing a Jake Paul, who still hasn't fought KSI. Though both of them have a loss. Though both of them now are, there's no real need to hold this fight off any longer. Quote unquote, fighting real boxers with a 10-0 record, but they are bums. That's a conversation for another day. Strictly talking about Ryan Garcia. Forget the YouTube persona. Forget the social media following. Forget all of that. He is legitimately a boxer. He has held himself like a boxer. I don't see where this notion that he's not really about this life comes to fruition. Just because he got a bunch of uh, social media following. Again, I want him to be better. He needs to be better, because let's be perfectly honest, Ryan Garcia is not ready for Devin Haney. He's not. We know that he's not. We know that, especially after that last performance with Oscar Duarte, we know he's not ready for Devin Haney. But he still wants the fight. If anything, this smart decision is better for him, because this is going along the path that I want him to go on. Which is, take a bunch of fights against lesser opponents and hone your legitimate talent. So that when you do face Devin Haney, you're ready. Because right now, similar to Deontay Wilder, there's got to be a semblance of rebuilding. Because when you got tested against the best of the best, you got put out. Now is your opportunity to, in rebuilding yourself, reinvent yourself. Find out and expose new facets of your game. And tune them. And you do that by fighting lesser competition. And then when you're fully mastered what you need to master, then you go after your evolution. Then you go and fight. Because right now you're not ready. After what we saw Devin Haney do versus what we're seeing Ryan Garcia do right now, you are not ready. Not in the slightest. But your fire is still there. We don't disrespect that. But we understand the road traveled right now is your best bet to get ready for Devin Haney. I'm not one trying to be like, oh, yeah, you don't need to fight him. No, you do need Devin Haney. Let's not get it twisted. You need Devin Haney. Devin Haney needs you. 
Everybody needs everybody at the top of the division because we want on this channel, we want the best of the best all fighting each other. Back to back to back to back. Making it so that we see who's truly at the top of the mountain. That's what we want to see. That means everybody's got to run through everybody. There's no, you don't need somebody. No, not here. We ain't saying that here. I guarantee you that. We He needs them. Just like Haney needs Ryan Garcia, Ryan Garcia needs Devin Haney. Just like they both need Teofimo Lopez and Teo needs them. Just like they all need to go at some point in time and fight Sabriel Matias. Everybody needs everybody. But what we're saying is, at this stage in your career, right now, you are not prepared, technically, to fight him. What you had in the amateurs was the amateurs. This isn't the amateurs anymore. This is a completely different realm. And what we saw Devin Haney do against Regis Prograce at that point in time, one of the biggest professionals, still at this point in time, one of the heaviest hitters in the division that we don't see get beat like he got beat against Devin Haney. Regardless of what you want to say about his skill set, which is quality, we don't see him get beat like he got beat against Devin Haney. We don't see that. That's abnormal to be completely outboxed, outmatched, and outmuscled. That's abnormal for Regis Progress. This is a different beast entirely in Devin Haney at 140. New weight means new man. That is what Devin Haney is. Ryan Garcia, you moved up and you showed the old Ryan Garcia, which is respectable up until the point. The potential we see it, but the ability is not where it needs to be to compete with the elite of the elite. I've said this before. Ryan Garcia is not ready for the best of the best. He's not ready for Tio. He's not ready for Devin Haney. Shoot, he might not even be ready for Sabriel Matias. And, hey, Rolly Romero might give him a run for his money. Though we know how we feel about Rolly Romero, current WBA champion. We know how we feel about him. All talk. Yeah, he's got legit power. Let's not get it twisted. And he can be explosive. But he's he's definitely beatable. As we saw when he should have lost against Barrosos in that idiotic stoppage by Tony Weeks, who again had another seemingly terrible stoppage. Though the brother had you know, medical record had brain aneurysms and all that stuff beforehand. But that's a whole nother conversation. Will we see him ref again? Who knows? But all that all that being said. Also, before we continue, Barroso just scored another KO. I believe in what, round one? Phenomenal knockout power. That brother can punch. That ancient brother can crack. That power is real. Volley said it. And it showed true. Brother and that brother who lost made it just making excuses left, right, and center. Now, you got cold clock and you got knocked out. And Barroso's now right back in the title picture. Thankfully, give him another shot. Because he was robbed of the last one with Rolly Romero. Rolly should not be the WBA champ. He shouldn't be the WBA champ right now. It should be Barroso. Idiotic stoppage that stunk of corruption. There's no way in the world that Rolly Romero should have won that fight. But, but we're getting off topic. Point being, when it comes to Ryan Garcia, Ryan Garcia has an opportunity with going the Floyd route to not only make money, 
build up the fight, make a unification belt possible, potentially submit yourself as the best super lightweight in the world if you do in fact beat him, but also have an opportunity to make yourself legitimately ready to fight against Devin Haney. Because at this stage right now, you are nowhere close to ready. You don't want that. You don't. Because you're a big kid. Devin Haney's a big kid. And at this level, I feel he can match not only your physical strength, but also he's got enough power to crack you, as we've seen you crack before against Luke Campbell. Yeah, you came back, showed all heart. That's why I never questioned your heart and wanting to get into the ring. But we know. And it was because you got up from Tank in that first knockdown when he caught you square in the face. We know what you are mentally. But talent-wise and technique-wise, we know you got so much more to do to be ready for a revamped Devin Haney. So I'm not mad that he's going to Floyd route because this Floyd route will be better for him in the long run, not in terms of, oh, you make more money, which you will. But more so, in terms of your evolution of a fighter, this is the path that you need to take. This isn't, again, I don't like the Floyd method because I feel that you should earn your revenue, not do it by padding records and padding, padding your, your, your resume. You shouldn't. Floyd's run at the top of the game ruined the sport. And we're just now creeping out of what was the Floyd Mayweather era. Everybody ducking everybody. Nobody fighting anybody. And everybody trying to, to reserve their O, reserve their loss, and not face the stiffest competition when it's apropos. And when is it is at the peak of its not only want from the public, but also the, the talent from both opponents. Fighting smart like Floyd got him a whole bunch of money, but it ruined what should have been legitimate big-name fights. Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. That happened five years ago. That I would have given so much more credit to that win. So much more. Not saying I discredit what Floyd did, but the context puts it at a lower bar than what it should have been. I don't got a dog in the fight. I feel that Pacquiao would have beat him five years ago, six years ago, at their best. But again, that's a conversation for another day. And we know all the speculation. We look, look into it absolutely and figure out for yourself exactly why that fight didn't happen at its prime. I'm not here to speculate whether one or the other. I just know that what Floyd does is move smart. And beyond Pacquiao, he's done that with other opponents. And that mentality seeped into the now generation of boxing, and it caused matchups never to happen. Five, six years in the making. Just now getting an undisputed champion at heavyweight. It took a while, but we finally got it, but it shouldn't have taken this long. This is the negative effects of what Floyd Mayweather brought to the sport. Because of a smart money moves type endeavor. Now we're eking out of that. I love it. But for certain situations, it is necessary, not just because it benefits, but also if you are not ready 
you need to take that route and do a circuit and improve before you get in the heat of the fire. You got to. I want to see everybody at the best of the best fight against each other. No doubt about it. As soon as possible. But also understand the need for improvement when necessary. And I don't care if it's a big name or not. If you are not ready, you are not ready. That's just, that, that's the nature of the beast. If you ain't ready for a fight, you ain't ready for a fight. There's a reason why we don't want Roley calling out anybody. Because we know he'll get knocked out. Just like he did against Tank. We know this. Should have gotten beat by Barroso. We know this. This is why we don't want him calling people out. Because he's not in that same category. He needs to improve before we give him legitimate credence to say you are worthy and ready to fight the best of the best at the division. That's what that talent was. That's what we're saying about Rolo. And right now, that's what we had to say about Ryan Garcia. Is it a duck that he's not fighting Devin Haney and suddenly switching gears? Absolutely. But at the same time, it's necessary. Because he himself is not ready at all. So look at it as a duck. Call it a duck. Absolutely. No, no problem with that. But on the flip side of that, also be able to say, it's ne and, and it's necessary to put this on the back end of calling it a duck. He needs this because if he got into the ring with Devin Haney right now, he would not be able to fight. He wouldn't be able to put up a real matchup. No. Uh-uh. He wouldn't. Because his raw talent and potential, like we talked about in the past, now it can't help him. Going up against this Devin Haney. Going up against Teofimo Lopez. Going up against Sabril Matias. It's not enough anymore. And you've got to, yes, you beat Oscar Duarte, who's respectable and powerful. I get it. Doesn't change the fact that the people with actual, with better IQ, better ring generalship, and all around better at everything than you, all have a belt right now, specifically Devin Haney. And you can't compete with that at this stage. In your development, you need to go and improve. If you want to get a belt, get a belt. Fine, go fight Roley. Beat him. Fine, absolutely. But even still, you need more. Because where you're at right now, the line is drawn that you will fail if you go and fight Devin Haney at the stage. You need to be a duck. This is necessary for your own development and to keep your career where you want it to be. You need to avoid him until you get better and then go face him. But don't fight him now. Let people call you a duck in disrespect. Fine. Because you are. But it's a duck for a reason. A real reason. Because you are not ready for Devin Haney. You're not. And since you're not, you've got to improve before that fight becomes not just a major event, but a reality that you can win. That's where Ryan Garcia is in that respect. But moving on from Ryan Garcia and going into the world of Elvis Spence and Terrence Crawford. Now we have a situation where we saw on Instagram, on Twitter, on social medias. Elvis Spence had to get cataract surgery on his eye. Claims that that's one of the reasons why he got hit with so many hooks and jabs by Terrence Crawford. 
on top of saying that that's that on top of him not living the lifestyle of a boxer is one of the biggest reasons why he got that butt whooping coming. His words used more colorful language, but that's why he's got that's why he got absolutely whooped. His words, paraphrasing what he said, that's why I got beat because I wasn't living the life of a boxer. And eventually he was gonna catch up to me. And then against Crawford, the rent came due. It it became time to pay up. Hence why he's saying that he lost. Is this a valid reason? Now I understand cataracts can affect people. Yeah, I, I, I got glasses. Ooh, we I don't got cataracts, thank the Lord. But hey, I can visually being visually impaired can affect some stuff. No doubt about it. But also we understand that if this was a concern, cataracts don't just show up. Cataracts also, when they make themselves apparent, oh, you know it, and you know well ahead that it's happened. This ain't something new that couldn't be taken care of a while ago if it was, in fact, coming up. But glad he get, he's getting, taken, take, getting it taken care of now. But I can't hold that as a valid excuse because if you were fighting, if you were saying cataracts was affecting you in this fight, they were affecting you against Kel Brook. They were affecting you against Sean Porter. Potentially, they were affecting you against Danny Garcia in your return after the accident. They affect you against. They affected you against Ugas. They've been affecting you for longer than just this fight alone. It can't. You, we can't have that as a valid reason. If the way cataracts work, they don't just show up. You know they're there. You know that it is because they build up over time. If my eye knowledge is correct, and excuse me, if I'm wrong, please, I am wrong. But from what I understand, it's ain't just a new thing that all of a sudden crops up. That situation was you just got beat. And if it's the fact that, and if, and if we want to bring, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the context of the win of Terrence Crawford by over Errol Spence Jr., excuse me, his Bud Crawford's win over Errol Spence Jr., while it was phenomenal, started the year, especially with him looking bad, going into surgery, all this stuff. Now the conversation is being brought up of was that really Spence that he beat? Was that win really valid? Was that win, should we hold it in high esteem or should we bring it down a little bit because X, Y, Z? Excuses and or quote-unquote context, which, one, which line does it fall in? Does it take away from the win of Terrence Crawford? That's why I'm talking about this whole thing. And it shouldn't take away from anything. Because cataracts, again, maybe they did, maybe, maybe they did just crop up before the fight. And if it did affect them, it did affect them. Okay, fine. We've seen other people, I believe maybe Henry Armstrong and others of the past fight with one eye and have phenomenal careers. No excuses whatsoever on their part. Literally blinded. Depth of, depth of field, nullified in one aspect, yet still they overcame. We've seen people in boxers do it in the past. I'm not saying that it's not valid, but I'm saying we've seen greats overcome it. 
So if we want to hold them to that esteem and they didn't use that as an excuse, we can't have that as an excuse for Errol Spence. If we're comparing great to great, and if we, we, if we want to call Errol Spence a great of our time, if we want to, which we, we have to, his dominance was not something that was a fluke. If anything, every opponent that he beat up after one Terrence Crawford beat him, after they got done fighting Errol Spence, people were discrediting them because they said that Errol Spence broke him up, made him never the same. Cal Book, Danny Garcia. We can keep going down the list. The shared opponents of Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Crawford was being seen as the lesser impressive win because Errol Spence was the man that broke them into oblivion before they fought Terrence Crawford. So, damaged goods. Hence, your talent ain't really that all impressive. That's what was being said. Not by me, but by other people. Critics, fans, pundits alike. It was legitimately being seen as that was the real reason why Crawford was beating these folks. And why the wins weren't seen as as impressive. Excuse me, bad grammar. Why the wins were not seen in the same impressive regard as they were when Errol Spence beat them. That's what was being talked about. So now we can't hold car crash because we saw Danny, we saw him recover and be as dogged as ever afterwards when he fought against Danny Garcia. No cataracts because we saw and know other greats of the past blinded fully in one eye, still going on to beat the best in their era. Or fight and rematch and win against the best in their era. Consistent. We know this. So history brings us back to the present and says, hey, we can't use that as a real excuse. Because people in the medical field or people that fought when the medical field wasn't nearly advanced as it was now overcame. When it was a more dogged, ruthless Ill ref sport in terms of what the refs let you get away with. That time, completely different. Completely different. More rugged than ever. Ruthless on all accounts. It was insane what they had to put up with and go through to fight. Not even to make as much money as you're making now, but just to make ends meet. The pay wasn't it wasn't the same. It wasn't. Countless people blinded, disabled in the ring, yet still producing and performing. We have to hold you by the same standard in this regard. It, it, it's not valid. It's not to me. I'm not gonna hold it in the same thing. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm saying that's not I can't hold that as an excuse to say, oh, that's why you got beat. I can't. I cannot. This, this isn't a hand injury, an arm injury, or whatever. It does. It doesn't seem. It doesn't sit right that this is the reason. Because it doesn't feel like something that would just pop up. In terms of cataracts. From my understanding of cataracts. 
But at the same time, when it comes to Terrence Crawford, we have to stop disavowing this win and talking about this whole thing as maybe it's, it's not, maybe it wasn't the real Errol Spence. Because remember the second half of this whole diatribe about why this win shouldn't be contested is the fact that Errol Spence, after saying cataract surgery, also was saying that he himself was not living the life of a boxer and the receipts came due. Rent became due. And he finally got his comeuppance for not living the lifestyle appropriate for a champion boxer. His words, not mine. Why do we then hold that as a valid reason for why Terrence Crawford's win shouldn't be justified or seen in an incredibly impressive light? Because it absolutely should. Because it is not Terrence Crawford's job to be prepared. It is not Terrence Crawford's job to be make to make sure that you are ready in the ring. His job is to always be ready. And I don't care what opponent he's faced. For his entire career, he's always been ready. Y'all call him the modern day Marvin Hagler. Because there's never been a fight that I've watched Marvin Hagler get into that he wasn't prepared to fight. That he wasn't fully invested. Everything about Marvin Hagler was strictly boxing and nothing more. To the point that he changed his name to Marvelous Marvin Hagler, legally, so that they would be forced to call it out in the ring. That much dedicated to the sport. Not an ounce of anything, from what I understand, about Marvin Hagler and his dedication to the world of boxing. It was boxing, sleep, and boxing. That's it. Nothing. He ate, slept. And bathed in the sport of boxing. There's nothing that disavowed him or dissuade him from getting into this ring primed and ready to face off against anybody. War in the fullest sense of the word. That is what Marvin Hagler was. And that's what Terrence Crawford has been his entire career. Ate, slept, and bathed in the sport of boxing. Nothing more. He was always ready. Always prep. If Spence didn't come into the ring like he needed to, that is his fault. And you all should be getting on him for not fighting at his fullest capacity and him not living up to the lifestyle. Not trying to disregard the win and say, ah, fight him at 154. He ain't, then you'll see the real Errol Spence. The real Errol Spence, preparation-wise, should have been in, in it should have been in, at 147. We can argue that the weight made effect, played a factor. We can argue that. No problem there. Just like we can, just like we know, Devin Haney is a boxer who the weight draining was affecting his ability to access the full breadth of his talent. We notice. And we all agreed that yes, that is real. That didn't negate the fact that when he showed up, he showed up. It didn't. That didn't negate the fact that we didn't use weight draining as a reason why, oh, that fight was close with Loma. Or that whether you whether you agree that he won or lost it. We don't use that as a reason for it to say, oh, you know, Loma only had, only had a close fight because Devin Haney was working. We don't use that. Because we know Devin Haney was ready. Weight drained or not, he was ready. Spence, if he wasn't ready. In every capacity, 
not in terms of his body was working extra hard to be able to to focus and perform under restraints of being at 147, which is a weight class that hurts his body. We've seen other people fight. That's not, no, that, that's different. We're talking about you outside the ring conducting and performing like a championship boxer, understanding what's coming down the pike in terms of your career, and you don't do what's necessary. That is not on the weight drain. That is not on the opponent. That is on you. That's on you. And that we can't hold in as a valid excuse. So because of that, stop holding this animosity. Whether you're L. Spence fan or not, stop holding this excuse. Because it is an excuse at this point. Above the win to take away context. Or rather, in this case, using context to try to disavow and make null and void the real impressiveness of this win. When, in fact, context should make this win just as, if not more, valid because of the fact that Terrence Crawford came into this fight primed and ready, living the life that he needs to live, did everything right, and we saw the best, but arguably the best Terrence Crawford that we've ever seen. And L. Spence didn't show up. If anything, that's all, that's more discredit on L. Spence. Because I've seen the best Errol Spence. And if the best Errol Spence went up against that Terrence Crawford, the same result's happening. And in my opinion, the same result is going to happen when they fight at 154. That's my opinion. You can have another one, but either way, the point still stands. All of that cannot take away from what we saw in that ring with Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. It can't take away from it. Absolutely not. That was a valid win. Valid domination. I don't care if you're a fan of Errol Spence, a hater of Errol Spence, a fan of Terrence Crawford, a hater of Terrence Crawford. Whatever side of the fence you want, do not use these recent events as an excuse to nullify or dilute the weight of this win by Terrence Crawford, nor try to do the thing that we've seen other people do and context in a negative light why this win isn't as impressive. Saying, oh yeah, he beat him down, but you got to remember, he was wagering. He was not living the life of a boxer. He was visually impaired. No, 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 no. We're not doing that because this, this is the wrong context that that type of thinking should be used. The wrong context that that type of thinking should be used. It's not right that that is the frame of mind when it comes to thinking about this fight. Point blank period. Daryl Spence Jr. got dominated and knocked out by Terrence Crawford. Excuse me, ref stoppage by Terrence Crawford. Beat from pillar to post. We saw the levels that were shown. And if anything, him not showing up at his best is his fault. And it's an indictment on him and his mentality when he came into the ring. He 
should have been prepared and lived the life of a boxer so that it wouldn't catch up to him like it did on that night if indeed that's what he's saying happened. That is on him and nobody else. So Terrence Crawford gets all the respect. If anything, that makes the loss even more detrimental on L. Spence because brother, what the world were you doing? Why? Knowing the big stage that this is on, why would you let this happen to you? This is on you. Not on Terrence Crawford. Terrence showed up and if you're saying that you let your lifestyle impede your boxing ability, that is your fault. Not on the butter that came for war every single night out. Uh-uh. We ain't doing that. Not on here. Not on this channel. Not on the World Report. Not on this podcast. Not on this show. No, 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 no. Never will we ever do that. It is Terrence Crawford who actively dominated. Point. Nothing else needs to be said. Both because of history and because of individually lived life that we now know. L. Spence is saying is a part of why that loss was so dominant. We have to say there's no excuse. There's reasoning. It's not an excuse. Cataracts, old boxers back in the day fought blind that were at your very position and won, knocked out opponents, went through their entire career afterwards with less medical facilities at their disposal, less medical advances at their disposal. And you, no disrespect to what you are going through, because it is what it is. I'm not saying that it's, it's, not, it's not valid. I'm saying that that should not become a legitimate excuse to use as to why you lost. Because whether you were blind or not, the same openings were still there. I said in my prediction, nobody had the instincts to be able to counter. We saw Terrence Crawford, excuse me, except for Terrence Crawford, who had the ability and the instincts and the countering technical ability to be able to hit those openings when you overextend. And to beat out your jab that while powerful can lunge. We notice. You don't change up your rhythm. We know this. We've seen this. I've said this. You got beat because you got beat by a better boxer who at 154 in my estimation will be a better boxer still. But while your reasons are the reasons, they don't turn into, they have to be used as excuses and only that in this context because of the fact that well, all of those are valid in your personal life. Not discrediting what they are. But context to the fight, I'm not using that. Because cataracts, we've seen other people fight worse and perform at your same level. And if we're going to hold you to the same accord, we have to. The opening that he was able to capitalize on as to why those jabs and hooks were landing were still there your entire career. Post and pre car crash, and you living the lifestyle of a boxer 
is on you, not Terrence. So if you weren't fully prepared and ready, that is on you. That is your fault. Hence, you lost. And it makes this loss even worse. For you, not for Terrence Crawford. So we're putting that to bed right now. That loss was valid. That loss legitimately showed who the better boxer was. And that loss is, in fact, your fault. Nothing else needs to be said. Nothing else needs to be said at all. And now going out of the world of boxing into the NBA, talking about Draymond Green in this final segment of the show. And oh boy, you want to talk about a situation of potentially career-defining implications. That is where Draymond Green is right now. We covered the story about Draymond Green being suspended after choking out, uh, no, after essentially backhanding, cold clocking, use of Nurkic, getting suspended indefinitely, then got reinstated after 12 games. Now, going on this podcast, we're saying contemplated retirement, saying that everything got too much for him. Adam Silver talked him out of it. Going on and on about his, essentially everything was crashing down around him. Bunch of stuff was, was bleeding into him potentially just hanging up altogether. Stuff was just becoming too much for him. His words, not mine. And for that reason, is it valid that he should be feeling like he's feeling? And in my estimation, good gosh, no. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? What ridiculousness is that? And yes, I am aggressive when it comes to this topic. Because with Draymond Green, all of this stuff is your own fault. Let me rephrase. All of this stuff is your own fault. Peaking the mic as I say it. Because I'm that fired up about this specific topic. Draymond Green, your entire career has been you doing stuff. Stupid, idiotic stuff in the name of being an enforcer. But this has been building up for years. There's no non-basketball movements, kicking Steven Adams below the belt constantly, stomping on DeMontis Sabonis, choking out Rudy Gobert, punching players, punching your own teammate, Jordan Poole, going out of your way to being a nuisance beyond just getting in your opponent's head. Constantly getting ticks, constantly getting in refs' faces, building up your own resume of outright debauchery. That is on you. This isn't like the role of a normal enforcer, Udonis Haslam. James Johnson, who now got signed to the Bucks. This isn't like that. You are being stupid. I don't know how much, I don't know why I've been through this. You are being stupid. You are being dumb. You are being idiotic in your mentality as a basketball player. Because you're doing things that aren't basketball in the slightest. Ignorantly going out of your way and making stuff that's not about you, about you. And ignorantly not playing the role of the enforcer, but playing the role of a bumbling fool with how you consistently do Idiotic stuff that gets you taken out of the game. That does it's not even because your teammates are being challenged or somebody's trying to fight Steph Curry. Not even in that realm. Just idiotic stuff for the sake of being stupid. Getting aggressive for no reason. Getting hot because of no reason. I don't know what intern what internal or external factors are making you do this stuff, but it's all stupidity. 
saying that this is you being overwhelmed. You are not being overwhelmed. You caused this idiotic situation because your bum self is constantly doing stupid stuff. You shouldn't have been in this position. That suspension should have been longer. If we're being honest, that suspension should have been longer. If we're being completely honest. And I've said this before. That suspension should have been longer. Absolutely. But you want to go out of your way and say that you are being chastised? The world's going in around you? No. We're going in because you're not doing anything remotely dedicated to basketball. You're not defending Steph. You're not defending Clay. You're not, you're, you're not getting roughed up and causing somebody else to do something. You're just jawing at people because you want to. Because you're stupid. We have to call it what we have to call it like we see it. You are acting stupid. You are acting like a fool. Like an outright fool. You yourself are making idiotic decisions that have no bearing on the sport of basketball. Yet, it's almost like a it's a it's a compulsion. You need to do it for no good reason whatsoever. Trayvon Green, you are the problem on Golden State beyond just this season. You're one of the biggest reasons why KD went out of the Warriors. You're the biggest reason why you lost Jordan Poole and why that final window now is officially closed. And you are the reason for your own career now going down to Tony. There is a reason why we are having real concerns that we may not see you on another team if the Warriors decide not to keep you around. And they're starting to get more and more convinced that you aren't worth the trouble. Forget your tenure. Forget your, your you, you being it. Forget your, your cachet in the organization. You are more hassle than it's worth. You are more pain than pleasure. You are bringing down this team more than you are bringing it up. Your vocal leadership is not balancing out your outright idiotic play that protects you off the floor entirely. Because that's what it is. And your leadership is starting to go out the window. And no, we shouldn't... We shouldn't be questioning Steph's leadership. Just like we should never question LeBron's leadership when he had issues on his team. Kyrie and others. It's not Steph's fault for this type of situation. This is Draymond Green. I've said in the past, Draymond Green is supposed to be the heart of this organization. Well, you're giving this team a heart attack because you are saying you got clots all in you. You're struggling to pump because you're always shutting down or being forced to sit on the bench or being forced to be suspended. You yourself have done irreparable, irreparable damage to this Warriors organization by yourself even before this whole suspension thing. Couple that with your egregious play. More and more, your offensive ability keeps on dwindling. And your defensive ability is now relegated to just hacking. Now, you are not worth the trouble in the eyes of the Golden State Warriors or anybody else in the NBA at this stage in your career. If you And you don't work with any other team in the NBA. 
Your skill set is directly correlated to the Warriors' offensive talent. Without them, and without Steph particularly, you are worth nothing on the court, especially with how your defensive ability continues to wane more and more and more and more. It's not what you think it is. It's not sweet out here for you. It's not a situation where you're still a dog that's barking and biting. Now, when you try to bite somebody, they put up 30 on your head. Jokic, triple-double, easily. Luka, easy. Anybody, easy work on you. You are becoming a relic of a time that now everybody's getting fed up with. Specifically coming from you. And we want enforcers. We want, we want doggedness in the NBA. We want more fervor, more energy. We get that. Rivalries, competitive fire. We want that. That's not what you're doing. You're being stupid. That's it. You're just being stupid. Idiotic and dumb in every facet of the word. Can't get out of your own head or out of your own team's way. You got to do something dumb. That makes us all lift our heads in our hands and say, what the world is wrong with you? It's ridiculous. That's what it is. Outright ridiculous. And you, you're acting like a bum. You are acting like a bum. And it's terrible. You ain't got no business doing stuff that you're doing. You know that you're doing this. And you still continue to let it happen. Now you say that you want to make it so that you're not going to have this happen anymore. You're going to go out of your way to make it so that this isn't a problem anymore. That's got to be seen to believe. Because now your buttons get pushed when there's no button being pushed. You should have thought about this a while ago. Trying to turn your life around on the court. Now might be too little too late. Because you'll play on top of your reputation. On top of your inability to have your skill sets gel with any other organization in the NBA. Will be nothing but a detriment. And your track record makes you unwanted by everybody. Actively unwanted. Losing money. That's what your, that's what your moniker is. Draymond Green is losing us green. Draymond Green's putting us in the red. That's what it's, it's a loss of investment. There's no ROI. There's no ROI. There is no legitimate profit to gain from having you on this team. Warriors or otherwise. Because you are floundering of your own volition. If there is something internally going on, I hope it gets better. That doesn't excuse what you've been doing. That doesn't excuse what you've been actively messing up on that doesn't excuse your absolute poorish type play and your ignorant outburst that gets you ex essentially expelled from the league which I've never seen him given indefinite suspension this is not right on your own part because you are the root cause of it don't be looking at anybody else the only person you can arguably blame is Steve Kerr because Steve Kerr has let this happen for far too long.
He's been the one saying that he is the heart and soul, and he's also the competitive fervor and fire. We got to let Draymond be Draymond. Even Dennis Rodman had his restrictions. And that brother was going out to Las Vegas before coming back and playing in the playoffs or, or in the regular season, whatever it was. That was, he. even he had restrictions that he, he had to abide by. They understand who they were dealing with, but they also understood that give him leeway, but make it so that he understands what is and isn't allowed. And he abided by it. Got him championships. Became one of them, again, at that stage, even when he was going on a downslope, still a vital piece to that Chicago Bulls team. Still leading the league in rebounding. Still one of the greatest hustle players we've ever seen in the world of the NBA. Draymond Green was let, was had his proxy run wild was able to do whatever he wanted to do, and now look at what's happening. Steve Kerr didn't establish a, a requisite line of demarcation, and now Draymond Green ran amok one time too many. And now the inmates are running the asylum to, to a degree in terms of Draymond Green doesn't have a line of demarcation. There's no bar that he needs to look out for. He can just jump as high as he wants to. He can roam as far as he wants to. And without any real recompense on the team. Knowing that he's hurting the team. But it doesn't matter. Now, it's got to matter. Now, reality better hit him in the face. And he better recognize and realize this might be his last shot. Not just with Golden State, but for anybody. To pick him up and do something with him. Because right now, when it comes to Draymond Green and having a tenure in the NBA, with his talent degrading as much as it is, defense nowhere close to the defensive player of the year that he once was. A liability on the offensive end if he is not working with Steph. And your turmoil with refs, reputation, and your affinity to getting suspended or ejected. You are not worth our time if we are an NBA franchise. Hence, you're not worth our money. Unless you show something different, you are not worth our time. So because of that, we'll wipe our hands clean of you and go on about our merry way. Because Draymond Green, like I said, is going to put us in the red. You are not worth the money that you are going to ask for, which is going to be idiotic. And you're not worth the money that we are willing to invest in. Because even your good qualities don't outshine your bad ones. Which is hard to say in the NBA. We have seen other people that are bums still get contracts consistently playing. But for you, no, you're on thin ice now. And you better recognize that this is your fault and nobody else's. And with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Quartz. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, this has been a phenomenal show, a phenomenal 
at the endeavor i love it i can't wait to do this again again leave a like on the video comment your thoughts anything and subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody you know so we can build this empire together i have been john oh we're also available on every podcasting platform rate us five stars get us highly rated and highly listened so we can be more and more infatuated to or rather be more um inclined to get even more people listening absolutely and I have been John Lequatch. Y'all have been wonderful. This has been the World Report. Peace and love. We are out of here.